0: Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David.
1: And I'm Madeline. And today's episode is a special episode where we will be discussing Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald.
0: Also joining us today, we have a special guest, Mr. Noah Mazer, one of our very good friends, ex-film student and uh, voice actor on the podcast Wolf 359. Hello, Noah.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a
0: pleasure to be here. Ex-film student. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So what we want to do today is basically just talk about this new movie, uh, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and just think about how it fits into the whole Harry Potter canon give our thoughts and opinions on it, and just see sort of like where we stand, you know, while while we're reading the series, going back and watching a movie and thinking about how that all fits together.
1: And as always, there will be spoilers for this movie and for everything surrounding it. So be forewarned.
0: So what did each of you guys feel when you walked out of the movie for the first time?
2: So for myself, um, the movie... And the previous movie, The Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, both sort of helped me realize, I think, what the Harry Potter fantasy actually brings, um, and what the original movies and books actually bring as a fantasy.
0: Wow, that's kind of big. Definitely, like, I want to hear more about that.
2: Right, so I think that they're both, so both this series and the original series are fantasy films, but they're fantasy films or in books in completely different ways. And even though Fantastic Beasts uses the iconography of the Harry Potter universe, it's playing a very different game with um how it appeals to people. So what I thought was that the the movie uses the iconography of Harry Potter. Right. And the world around it, right? And it shows us these things we know. The magic and hints to some characters and to Hogwarts, right? And to, um, you know, parts of the wizarding world, the Ministry of Magic and Dumbledore and things like that, that we know from Harry Mm -hmm. Potter. But it's providing a very different fantasy, right? So it really highlights what the Harry Potter fantasy is, the original. Because to me, that fantasy is the idea of, you know a kid being whisked away to this austere, a little bit creepy, you know, British boarding school that is, you know, brand new and delightful and scary. And, you know, with all these quirky bits of magic that are hidden in its history and, you know, and 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 how it, you know, has this kid who basically knows nothing about magic who is kind of introduced to this world and forced to reckon with it. And I mean, it's easy to see how like you could, you know, take that, the magic that's there and say, you know, it's a metaphor for like adulthood. Right. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, you're going in here and learning, Oh, I didn't know all these things. And these things that are being taught to you are basically, you know, the world you never knew. You're losing your innocence and learning about, you know, how things really are. And it's magical and it's dangerous and it's cool and it's exciting and it's scary. Um, whereas these films are not like that at all
1: right? yeah these
2: these films are basically spy thrillers uh in the twenties <laughs> with
0: magic, okay.
1: Well, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think that um, we we talk a lot about that just from reading the first two books so far is that, you know, the reader or the watcher in that case with the movies is going along with Harry and learning about the world. And so now it's like, right. okay, you already know about the world. It's not magical in that way. Um, and I think, I think you're right about the spy thriller thing. I was also thinking, well, what's the fantasy of this one? And um, I think the fantasy of this one might be, you know, what if um, you were sort of like a rebe- in the rebellion in this world and you were fighting evil, but in a way that is very different from Harry's fight with evil.
0: Right. Yeah, but I think it's interesting because we're supposed to take the side of the ministry in a way. Do you know what I mean? Because Grindelwald isn't. Grindelwald is the rebellion. Grindelwald is the insurgency against the established order. And so yeah. it's it's this weird thing where it's like the Ministry are the bad guys, but they're like the side of good, and Grindelwald is like in a weird way like compelling and sort of good, but he's like evil you know and so we're sympathizing and and antagonizing different factions at the same time really the good guys are the ostracized people like dumbledore and newt right. who are like not part of any faction newt spends a great deal of this movie saying like i don't want to pick a side and like eventually he comes around and is like no i want to be on the side of the ministry but that's like a weirdly i don't know it's almost arbitrary yeah it's it's arbitrary in a sense but i think it's There wasn't a lot of setup to make the ministry sympathetic to us. They're very like fascist and austere as well. And we even see how corrupt they are because, you know, we'll talk about this in a little bit probably, but they have a double agent who's a pretty well-established orer. And uh, so you can see that like, they're not really the good guys either. They're on the side of good, but their methods aren't good. And it really is only like a couple of sympathetic characters within the ministry that save it ultimately in the movie. So it's just a really weird um, set of factions for the movie to take. It doesn't really give us a clear like good guy, bad guy side.
2: But it almost makes perfect sense if you place it in the context of a spy thriller, right? If you place the Ministry of Magic as essentially the MI6 or the Impossible Mission Force, right? Uh You know, with all the double agents and all the the people who aren't, you know, never trustworthy and you don't really know how they operate. It's like they're kind of seedy and they're underground, you know, Uh and they're trying to get rid of this even more underground force that, trust me, is dangerous (laughs) because they're going to destroy the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it ends up being about like ideology, and um, I think that's what the movie wants to do, right? I think that's what it wants to be—is it wants to be a, an ideology allegory, you know, where it's like the Ministry of Magic is like mm, nationalism or maybe like proto-fascism, but it's like order, and Grindelwald is like Grindelwald is threatening to upset the established order, but in a way that benefits wizards so he claims and the ministry wants to keep order and so you've got this weird like battle of ideologies going on like is the established order worth preserving or like should it be upbraided you know
2: i think rowling clearly makes an ideological point at the end with uh grindelwald's you know final speech where he's sounding like a white supremacist um so, she's clearly, like, making that ideological point to try to sink in and say, you know, you know, we don't hate, you know, the non-wizards and the non-purebloods, mm-hmm. but, you know, we want to be separated from them and, you know, slash, you know, try Kill to them. expel them and eventually yeah. probably purge them. Um, yeah. So, she's making that point probably to to try to, to sink in that, you know, this is a bad dude, um, but... Yeah, I think I think that's that's interesting. That idea kind of comes down to ideology because their methods are aren't too different from one another.
1: One thing that I think wasn't totally developed enough because there wasn't enough time, but did work for me was um, Queenie's going over to Grindelwald's side because I think that for this like series of movies and stuff to work. Um, Grindelwald's side needs to be more complicated than just like we're white supremacists which it is because first of all wizards were persecuted for a long time and like had to you know had to be in hiding in a way but um, he's also kind of preaching this fake but you know um, compelling um, compelling thing that is You know, you can. We can be progressive here. You can marry whoever you want to marry. We're not gonna let. We're not gonna go by like the order, like the ministry order, like you're saying. And so they, they it shows you how people who are, you know, people who are vulnerable and in general to cults and things, people who want change, um, and want a completely new life, um, are going to be compelled to join forces with him. And you know, I think that that was a surprise to me of the someone that. Like, Queenie was our, like, one of our heroes, and she went over to the bad side, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely think that was the crux of this movie in terms of, like, progressing the story forward, um, was Grindelwald getting one of the quote-unquote heroes on his side. But I do want to talk more about Grindelwald, if we can, because I always found him to be a much more empathetic villain in when he was described in the original novels, than Voldemort, for example. They're, the two are often conflated because they have similar ideology, but I think it's disparate enough that for me, whereas Voldemort, I have no empathy for his position whatsoever. I find myself thinking, you know, like if I were a wizard, would I have agreed with Grindelwald? And I think probably not, but like, I definitely see where he's coming from and where a lot of his followers are coming from more than I do Voldemort's. And I want to explain that. Okay. Basically, I think Grindelwald's position is that, in the novels at least, is that wizards have been in hiding for centuries because we've been afraid of muggles killing all of us, um, and that time is now over. We don't need to be afraid of them anymore. We are powerful enough that we don't need to be in hiding. So it, it, this isn't the, the Middle Ages. We're not going to be burned at the stake. You know, We are not not going to be the persecuted anymore. We are not going to be the oppressed anymore we are going to basically like have an uprising we're going to expose our presence to the world and then you know if they are comfortable with peace that's great but that's probably not going to happen because history has shown us over and over that the non magic community is so afraid of us that they will always try to fight us because that's been the history so his position is basically like if we want to live in the open as we deserve We need to force a conflict between us and the muggles. And then ultimately, we will either coexist or we will rule them. There is no third option. Um, And I think that's actually a pretty sympathetic position to take. If you're a wizard and you've been in hiding for centuries, you don't want to be in hiding. You want to live, you know, peacefully with all the rights and privileges that wizards should have. So it's just a really weird dilemma. I think it has a lot of parallels to things like the X-Men series where it's like, you know, should mutants be allowed to live alongside humans or should they be like, um, above them basically?
2: Sure. But I think, so the interesting thing here is that in X-Men, right? And yes, and there is the two sides, right? Magneto and Charles Xavier. And it feels like they're trying to set that up. Warner Brothers is trying to make that. Um, but the difference is with X-Men is that in X-Men they interact with the public and that is like what they do, you know, like they save people. That are like normal people, and they're like normal kind of superheroes. A superhero interacts with, um, you know, the non-magical world. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is an underground world that feels less like X-Men. And to me, at least in the structure of the film and the way that it's appealing to you, is more like um, Men in Black. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, okay
1: cool because like
2: instead of having you know aliens walking around everywhere it's like weird creatures walking around everywhere yeah you know uh-huh. and you have this organization that everyone's doing all their jobs and stuff but it's hidden away in a secret passageway that you have to go through right uh-huh. and so it's kind of like they're dealing with these you know these crazy creature th- events and crazy evil people and villains and they're trying to deal with it quietly and underground and if the public sees it they just wipe their memories Right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're very
0: similar in that way.
2: And it's, they're so unbelievably powerful that to me it doesn't feel like the public has any power whatsoever compared with X-Men where like law and public policy and like mutants and like they have to deal with other people. And that's like a big crux of the thematics. But here, in terms of the structure of the film, they basically never have to deal with muggles except for uh, their friend, who is just sort of there, uh, like, you know, as as a sort of a Watson kind of character, um, you know, who's just sort of found his way in. And...
0: He's a quintessential dumb sidekick.
2: Exactly. And so, they. but dealing with the public is never a struggle through either of these two movies that like actually matters. So the fact that their ideology is built on, oh, you know, we're scared of the public, or we we should rule over the public is kind of irrelevant because the public is never really a
0: character. That's an interesting point. And I think that might be a consequence of how the movie chooses to portray this society. But I don't think that that actually reflects the way that wizard society existed in the historical sense you know what I mean
2: absolutely I think it's a failure in the movie to attempt to execute on um, the believability of the world like they're Mm -hmm. not really following through on how the world would actually work if you had this underground wizard society throughout history
1: yeah I I think that's interesting also going back to your point about the differences in the fantasy between the original Harry Potter series um, because in the original series you know we we interact with muggles because of the Dursleys but in Hogwarts it's like obviously isolated there's no muggles and the only times that they you know do go out in public and interact with them are they're very brief and there's you know a lot of memory wiping and stuff going on too so i think that this sort of continues that false kind of impression of um what the world is because it is saying like well wizards don't interact with muggles and it's very like hush hush and they just have their small communities whereas what i think it actually is and what we're trying to say they didn't portray in this either is you know we're walking around with muggles all the time and nobody knows we're wizards and we go in secret passageways like you said
2: mhm yeah it's a difficult balance between the urban fantasy the underground world this you know 1920s kind of noirish atmosphere they're trying to create and mm-hmm. you know and how would the world actually work if magic was everywhere you know like how would that actually affect our world, um, where, you know, with Harry Potter, it's the original series, it kind of, it's more, they more say, oh, we're secluded, we operate, you know, we go out on this train for, you know, miles and miles and miles to get to this, you know, area that is immaculately detailed, that like has all of this, you know, incredible world building, but within a separate world that you kind of enter into, as opposed to this is a world that's. That when they're describing it is really layered on top of our own, and how it's layered, I think is not really thought through entirely by this movie
0: yeah, I mean they they try to create a Parisian diagonale, right, and I think they succeeded to an extent, but they also like Paris is an enormous city with tons of people around all the time, and it's not like this entrance to diagonale, so to speak, is like hidden away it's literally just like a statue. And right. do we really think that no one's going to notice when a statue like bends and twists mm-hmm. and then like a door opens up? It's like, wow. Well,
1: yeah, it's right, not really explained. But um, also, I think that one part that I was a little confused by um, that kind of tried to connect to the world was. So there's a point, I think, during that scene in the tomb where um, Jacob says um, something like there's going to be another war. Or no, maybe that's when Grindelwald says. That. Oh, it's when Grindelwald is talking, and he's like, "There's gonna be something like like another war." As can, thinking about World War Two is what I mean. Oh yeah,
0: well when he does that whole demonstration where he like breathes in the skull. Oh yeah, thing yeah, and then blows it out. It's like that's supposed to be some sort of like divination. I think. Okay. Right, and he predicts and then, like and then the images the that bomb. everybody sees are are yeah the atomic bomb, the war, World War Two, basically, and he's like, "This is what's coming." this is what the muggles do to each other. What do you think they're going to do to us? Right. And it's so interesting because Grindelwald's war is so obviously supposed to be a parallel for World War II. You know, they they both start around the same time in the 30s. They both end in 1945 um, with the defeat of the ruler, basically. And then, you know, it, it's. I think they're really trying to draw a lot of parallels between the actual Second World War and Grindelwald's war, but here he's, like, using that second world war as like propaganda for his war i don't know it just seemed really strange to me
2: and he's also trying to claim that it's like look how bad humans are right which is like Uh a trope amongst you know the like any kind of um group that you know where you can you can look at our introspectively at our own condition and be like humans are terrible aren't we but like you know, the magic users are also humans. Like, you know, like they're just, they have all the same crap. They hate people. They go to war. They hurt each other. Like, there's really no difference. You know, instead of an atomic bomb, it would be like, you know, a big magic bomb. But like, (laughs) you know, they would do the same thing.
0: Yeah, and I see it a little differently. I see it more as him trying to create a divide between the other, which is in this case, Muggles, and us. Like, saying, like, look how savage they are. Look at their weapons of war. And then ask yourself, like, are we like that? Should we put up with that? You know? I think it was the same thing that Hitler did. I mean, I'm not going to say that they're the same. I'm not going to say that he's Wizard Hitler, because I think Voldemort's closer to Wizard Hitler. But um, <laughs> I think they have sort of the same speech patterns, in a sense. You know, they're both trying to, like, scapegoat this other group and then say, like, we need to fight this threat, because it is a threat. Right.
1: Um, I think another main point to this whole movie, um, or w- with us watching the movie, is that um, this is the second in a series of supposedly five movies. So this is clearly a setup movie, as it seems like there may be three more setup movies. But it's a setup for you know something to come. They're kind of giving a lot of exposition about Grindelwald and the war. So I think that um, as time goes on, it will be interesting to see in the future movies how they deal with, you know, the actual war going on and then um, Grindelwald's war in parallel. I mean, I think that that is going to be a real test of how they um, show the interaction with the Muggle world.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. So moving on from that sort of discussion, I want to hit on the characters because this movie, I think, is very interesting if you look at the characters, um, specifically Something that I kept thinking about when I was watching the movie is why are we following these characters? What is it about Newt and Queenie and Jacob and Tina that's actually interesting and compelling if you look at the overall story of this movie? Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that?
2: Um, I think Newt is interesting. I mean, he's like a lot of characters that get wrapped into thrillers in that he is talented and reluctant Right. And I think um, Dumbledore sort of says it himself, like, you're not in it for yourself. You know, you just mm. want to do what's right. And so so he's sort of, you know, he says what the audience is thinking, like, you know, you're just a bunch of bureaucrats. I don't want to, like, deal with all your all your crap. It's all kind of um, like you have your own reasons and your own politics. And I don't want to be part of it. And then, you know, he gets pulled in anyway. Uh, And because he has to be, and he's able to use his particular skills. You know, he has this way of, of, um, of working with creatures that is, you know, unique and, um, makes him sympathetic and gives him like a different way of looking at things. Right. So it kind of makes him like a cool detective, Right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, he he gets to go and do the scene where he's looking at the aftermath of the circus escape.
0: Right, Right, yeah. I like that scene a lot.
2: It's a very
1: Sherlock thing.
2: Right. And it's a very, it's, you know, the thing that happens in a lot of, uh, you know, Again, like spy movies and thrillers, it's like, oh, the villain did something. There was something that went down, and like we're just behind, right? Yeah. So now it always to...
0: makes me think of that. Uh, there was a firefight scene with William Defoe from um, the Boondock Saints. Do you mm-hmm. remember that? Mm-hmm. Where he's just like, it seems like from the audience's perspective, he's just totally making stuff up, you know?
2: Right. Right. So you're. Um, so it's like, oh, the villain did something, you know, and we're going to be on their trail, right? So the, the the villain, something goes down that like is bad right? And then they come in for the cleanup, and they have to and we know, because we've seen the scene before with, the, with where everything went down, that they have to get you know, that they have to figure it out and so we're watching them figure it out, and he gets to use his, you know, cool tricks that only he has, because of his particular sense of being able to perceive the world in a different way right? Um, because he has his creatures that can tell him tell him things, and he's a talented wizard, you know he gets to go through and be, and be you know, Sherlock, you know, and use his cool... It's basically his cool spy technology uh, yeah. that mm-hmm. only he has.
0: So speaking of characters, we're also introduced in this movie to young Albus Dumbledore or young-ish Albus Dumbledore. What did you guys think of that character's development and Jude Law's portrayal of him and, and the writing? What did you guys think of that?
1: I was, I was actually pleasantly surprised by... Um, the portrayal, I mean, I think that he, I think that the cat sing was actually good, and I think that he did a good job portraying his whimsical side and his sort of rebellious, fun teacher side, um, whereas also being kind of dark and not always making the right choices, Um, which is Dumbledore's biggest, <laughs> I think, flaw in mm-hmm. the whole thing, and we sort of are seeing the beginning of this, so besides the ending with the whole, like, I'm a Dumbledore thing with Credence that kind of confused me and made me annoyed for the whole Dumbledore's character, um, I thought that he was pretty interesting. But what did you think about Noah?
2: I thought he was an interesting character, but I also wondered what his role was in the movie. It seemed like to me, he mostly existed so that he could appear and we could say, oh, Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. There's a couple um, other examples of characters whose only function is to make the audience go, oh my God, I know them. Um, Minerva McGonagall comes to mind. Uh, yeah.
2: Nicholas Flamel for me, I was like, "Oh fun. yeah,
0: Nicholas Flamel as well. Y-
2: you know, yeah, it's just a, it's kind of a, a shout out almost. Um, and so Dumbledore doesn't really have a lot of you know, I get, he technically he does have character progression, but the character progression is basically goes from, I don't want any part of this. I'm a teacher and I don't, I don't, you know, I can't hurt my guy to, mm-hmm. all right, next movie. I'm going to get involved.
1: Right. Um, <laughs> He's which, like, and we yeah. made a blood pact, which no one knows what that is, but. Right. And I That feel also like...
0: annoyed me too, because I always felt that, and they tried to do this a little bit in the movie, I think, by showing him looking into the mirror of Erised and seeing him with younger Grindelwald. But I think that d- for me, Dumbledore's past and the reason why he never confronted Grindelwald until he absolutely had to in 1945 was that he was so conflicted emotionally about him. You know, it was like we have this shared past, you know, Ariana well, and they died. Well, love, and- I think,
1: was supposed to. I mean, I, I think that... I thought that that's what they were going for until the whole blood pact thing.
0: Yeah, but I think the reason for me why the blood pact is so annoying is because I think I wanted it to be all about his emotional entanglement yeah, yeah, and about the whole like, you know, Ariana died and I don't know whose fault it was. It was such a mess. It was so chaotic. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to have to confront that part of my past again, especially when the person I'm confronting is someone I used to love, maybe still do love. And like deep down, I sort of agree with his ideology at its core, even if I don't agree with his methods. Um, and so that was like, that was what I wanted to see was more of that and not this like very hand wavy, oh, the reason that I can't physically intervene is because I can't physically intervene. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, I'm the... being compelled not to intervene as opposed to like, I have my own reasons
2: they basically removed the character psychology and replaced it with a MacGuffin,
0: uh-huh. um, which... which I think is just kind of like, it's not trusting the audience enough to, to go along with a complex character. And Dumbledore is one of the most complex characters in the whole series. And I right. think, I think really uh, the screenwriters should have trusted the audience more to to say, okay, like Dumbledore isn't perfect. And we know that, and he's got his own entanglements and, That's why he's not able to intervene in this conflict.
2: The other thing I think is interesting is that Dumbledore in this is pretty much already Dumbledore, right? He is, like, the most powerful wizard that they know. And he's just – he's super cocky, uh, which is, like – I guess he's not, like, the wise Dumbledore that we know later. But, you know, it's interesting that, like, so much of the movie is this – is this selling nostalgia, right? And Mm -hmm. being like, here's a character that you know – isn't it fun to see this character that you know? Isn't that a <laughs> right. cool shout out? And it's like, yeah. what it makes me think is the movie that people want to see, if they're just showing us Dumbledore, is the movie of how did Dumbledore become Dumbledore? Right. Right. And exactly. this, this actually takes place kind of after that, in a sense. Yeah, it yeah. does. You're right. Um, so, I don't know. I think that's interesting.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm hoping, and I don't know, I, I don't have a, a faith in this, but I hoped for more like sort of flashbacks um to Dumbledore and Grindelwald there may be I would assume there would have to be later on but I think that you know that's what you're right that's what would be really good and I think that both of their characters need to be developed more if what we're assuming the end of this series is their you know final battle or whatever
0: Uh-huh. and I right. also wonder like you know this movie series is called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them We've seen Newt's commander in the first movie be very central to the plot. we've seen him be auxiliary to the plot but still the protagonist in this movie i I have a lot of trouble envisioning exactly how he's going to be a really important protagonist in the final movies and i'm I'm curious to see how that goes, but for example, we know the conflict between Dumbledore and Grindelwald in nineteen forty five was basically a duel between the two of them, and I really don't understand how newt could be involved in that in any capacity you know Mm -hmm. i just don't i don't see how that could happen so i wonder how they would get around that while still having him be the protagonist and not dumbledore because i agree that dumbledore shouldn't be the protagonist if they're going to go that route of having it be like spy movies because dumbledore is the like m you know of the spy movie he's he's the like chief um he's the most powerful wizard What I also thought was really interesting in this movie was, you're right, Noah, they do pay a lot of respect to Dumbledore's ability already, and we know from the novels that he was already a genius when he graduated school, and everyone thought he was going to be the youngest minister of magic ever, Um, and then he hard-tacked and went into academia, and everyone was really surprised, but they still respected his power. Grindelwald in this movie already has the Elder Wand, so in theory, Grindelwald is unbeatable in a duel. And One of the things that I'm most curious about is we know that he has the unbeatable wand Um, in the lore. The elder wand is supposed to actually be unbeatable. Like you cannot lose a duel um, when you're wielding it. um, As long as you don't like make any obvious mistakes, I think. Um, But I wonder how Dumbledore is able to overcome that and whether it has to do again with their shared history, their shared backstory and whether it is going to involve credence Alias, Aurelian, Dumbledore.
2: Right. Yeah, I wonder how they're gonna play it out. Um because I mean they seem to be, you know, trying to create this like Avengers uh, you know, like <laughs> yeah. us versus you know the bad team and the good team, and you know we're all gonna have our own fights, you know, <laughs> and then there's and 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 Dave unbeatable, you know. Instead of the Infinity Gauntlet, they has the Elder Wand, you know. It's, <laughs> they have nobody to definitely can do anything exactly. Gauntlet. Um, so you know, there's gotta be a way, you know, and maybe through you know Newt Scamander's cleverness, you know, he'll find a way to you know. Take away its power or, or in some way find a loophole because, you know, that's what his, what he brings to the table, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And what I actually liked about this movie and the way that uh, the script was written is, well, it, it, what, what J.K. Rowling tends to do, and she does this in the original Harry Potter series, right, is that she'll give you a bunch of um, scenes that are there that seem like they're there for fun You know, or to just talk about a character like, you know, it'll just be a scene where, you know, for instance, in the first book, you know, um, Ron and Harry are playing chess. Uh You know, um, or or in the second book where, you know, they learn that Harry's Parseltongue, right? And it seems like it's just, oh, that's a weird thing that we're introducing about the world, or that's just a silly one-off. And then at the end, it comes back and it's important, you know? And they do that in this movie, you know? Um, There's, you know, there's that creature, there's the the flying... like, cat yep. creature, yeah. you know, that he lets <laughs> yeah. out, you know, because they, he's become friends with it, right? And and there are these, so there are these things that they have, and I, there are other scenes that I'm trying to remember uh, that are similar, where, you know, they, they do this scene, and you're like, why is this relevant to the movie? And then, and but it's like, it's kind of a neat scene, like, you know, whatever. And then at the yeah. end, it's like, oh, and they use that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, So I can imagine that happening again. I can imagine Newt Scamander, you know, being clever and using something that he found at one point and bringing it back and and having it be an unexpected but uh, inevitable uh solution.
0: Uh-huh. Okay.
1: Yeah, I, I think that is true. They they I mean it was there's a lot of things that were well plotted out. But I think the main problems for me in general were that it was just it's just too much. There's too much going on. There's too many characters. There's too many plot lines there's too many creatures there's too many things and i think the way i think it's in a way that the first movie wasn't and i think part of that is because the first movie was just all about new all about the beasts all about this new crew of people and credence and credence which i which i think that the the first movie was was well-contained, and then now we're like, okay, Fantastic Beasts slash Crimes of Grindelwald. So there's still some beasts, and now <laughs> Grindelwald's here. Right. And this is a whole new thing, and we're trying to, you know, introduce the world, and we're going to different cities, and it's um, a lot. So it's hard to keep up, and there's all these characters like Lita, um, who is clearly now dead, and, you know, she was a one-off in this movie.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that was intended. I think Lita's death was intended as like a huge emotional moments. It didn't but have it for it me. It didn't work. I
0: didn't care. I, she's established in this movie and she's killed off in the same movie. I mean, it's like it's like in Star Trek when they have like a one-off character for one episode and then that character dies the same episode. It's like, who cares? You know? Right. You just want to get involved her.
2: I think this movie is maybe four movies in one. <laughs> <laughs> so you have them sort of trying to continue those plot lines from the first movie that have to do with the characters, right? That right. have to do with Jacob and Queenie and like, you know, what these characters are up to and how and, they're dealing with each other and who's and in Newton
0: love with and Tina's like little burgeoning love story.
2: Exactly. And then you have the spy thriller, right, which carries the movie's plot. Um but is super formulaic, <laughs> you yeah. know, and isn't really doing anything new. Um, and it's pretty generic. And then you have, um, and then you have these sort of interesting one-off scenes that are to me, like kind of the most interesting parts of the movie where you have, you know, like something happened with the beast or you have, you know, that little like, um, crush that his assistant has on him. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, you know, and you have exact like these little things that are these scenes that I think are kind of the more interesting scenes in the movie. Um, and you know, or even some of the scenes that focus on, um, Grindelwald, uh, and his crew and, but they're not related to the plot, so they feel right. out of place, and you don't know why they're there, and and it's confusing. And then you have the final one, which I think is just everything that sets up the next movie, right? So it's the plot line, line mm-hmm. with Credence, it's and the Dumbledore. plot line with, you know, yeah, with Dumbledore and with uh, Grindelwald, you know, setting everything up for his next move. And, and then so you the have brothers all commander,
0: before... the two of them, finally being on the same side, so to speak. Right, so you have
2: all four of these movies happening at once, and like two of them or three of them are interesting, but not really related to the plot. And then the plot ones aren't interesting. So you end Uh up with something that is both, um, it's kind of like either it's boring or it's confusing.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I remember sitting in the theater and thinking like, how does this relate to the story at various times? And then other times I'd be like, okay, this is the story, but it's boring and it's super predictable. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I really think I, um, their attempt with what you were saying with like the third film, where they're sort of like one-off scenes um, that are like sort of charming. I think that was their attempt to do more like character establishment and character development. Right. Um, especially when I think of the the first scene that we see in Paris um, in this film, where it's like Grindelwald and his crew like break into a house and then they just kill everybody in it. Um, yeah. And they have like they make a point of like having him like go up to this little like two-year-old boy and just kill him or like have someone else kill him yeah um i i think like first of all i was really taken out of the movie because i was like that's not grendelwald's way he doesn't just kill people randomly um it's all done like very strategically and like only when necessary because his whole thing is like i'm doing this for the greater good it's really hard to justify killing an infant for the greater good you know um right but also because like it didn't serve any other purpose in the film other than to establish him as a bad dude. You know?
2: Well, They're yeah, just they like, remember, sure he's bad.
1: Knew.
0: Yeah, Remember, yeah, this is the villain, be. just in case you'd forgotten. Exactly.
1: In case you couldn't tell by his one weird eye. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, but... right. Being, villi-
2: being evil makes you ugly. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right,
0: that's right. Also, older. He and Dumbledore are supposed to be the same age, but he looks like he's in his 60s, and Dumbledore looks like he's about 45. Mm-hmm. Of course.
1: Yeah, and their ages are all so confusing. But I think that um, what you said about the smaller scenes—I mean, I was—I was really interested in the um, the whole the scenes and the plot line around um, the woman who had, I guess, cared for Credence, the like maid of his family. Right. Yeah. Um, which I guess is a Dumbledore's. But um, I was interested in her story and I think you know obviously that's gonna come later because it's gonna be you know more about this new Dumbledore person which um but I'm interested in that and that seems like a whole other movie to me because that could go into the backstory of the Dumbledore family and Ariana and um I I think that Credence in general was not interesting in this movie but because he's just like, I want my mom. And he's like skulking well, yeah, around.
0: His scenes, as Noah was saying, were the ones that served to move the plot forward. Yeah. But were boring.
1: And they're boring. And I, But I think that his character could be the most interesting. And I loved in the last movie the whole introduction of the Obscurial. I think that's like one of the best new things in the Harry Potter universe that has kind of come out of all this. Yeah. Um, I really love that idea. And, um it's just it's a lot it's really a lot it's just too much
0: on the obscurial point what i think for me is the best part about introducing a concept like that is that it retroactively explains something that previously was an enormous mystery to us as readers of the original series which is what happened to ariana dumbledore and why was she like that and it like the answer is she was an obscurial. Mm -hmm. So like now that we have this information, like that's never explicitly described in either of the two films, but if you're an astute reader and and viewer of those movies, then you can sort of connect those two dots pretty easily. And then it's like, okay, now we have this answer.
2: I think that's a valid reason to to go to these movies. I think if you're a hardcore Harry Potter lorist, you know, and you want answers, I think that this movie... You know, it's, it's definitely more than just shout outs, right? The movie is filling in information. Um, but again, it's doing so without the same fantasy so it's yeah. it's providing facts and not the and not the feeling, right, that you want to go for. So it's I think this movie is confused on its vision because it knows it wants to give you the nostalgia, right, and wants to connect you to these characters. So it's giving you Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel and McGonagall and and you know, images of Hogwarts and and you know, it's it's in the Ministry of Magic and it's trying to appeal to those things, but at the same time it's like being something it's a, it's also running as a, you know, mid century urban wizard spy thriller. Uh, and Uh those movies are layered on top of each other and it doesn't know which one's more important. And so you end up with this kind of confusing mess, but you know, if you are a a, a deep lorist and you want to, to know all the stuff and, and get that backstory filled in, then it might be worth seeing.
0: I will say as a self-proclaimed Harry Potter lorist, I, I felt, really not that compelled by the lore in this movie because it felt to me like it was shoehorned in at times or that it was unsatisfactory for example i i come back to this over and over when i'm thinking about the movie nagini right so like she's a snake in the novels she's always been a snake there's no evidence to suggest that she would ever have been anything but a snake there's no establishment for a character beyond a snake and then suddenly in this movie, she's not a snake, she's a person. That to me isn't satisfying lore. It's just like, okay, you took this thing and then you made it into a different thing. And then you said that that's how it's always been.
2: The uh, midichlorian situation?
0: Yeah, it's it's sort of like that. It's like, why did you have to do that? Like it, it, Okay, you wanted to have another character in this movie. By the way, why did we need that character in this movie? What does she actually do? Uh, I don't think they I gave her. <laughs>
2: I think she, she provides just dialogue up. for credence. Yeah, she she's she she someone credence for someone to credence to talk to. Talk
1: to. to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that um, she is clearly being also set up, and and they're trying to make it interesting of like how does she become you know Baltimore snake? They already explained that, but it's like not. Yeah.
0: They already explained true. that. They basically said in the in the movie, in her introduction, they were like, eventually she'll just be a snake.
1: No, but I mean, like, how does Ooh. she get to be Voldemort's, you know, kind of but thing? But we'll
0: probably never see that because Voldemort isn't even alive until like, um, a few years after this movie takes place. Yeah. And so, like, he he doesn't even get Nagini as a pet until, like, the events of the series, the original novels.
1: Right. I don't know. Yeah, she. it was strange. And I think that what they were trying to do a little bit was go back to what was what was cool in the first movie, which was, oh, an obscurial. And, you know, this is an, as we already talked about, it, explain some things. But they're trying to be like, this is a new type of thing you haven't heard of that can happen. And they're like, it should, that's, they call it a maledictus, which is a human that's fated to turn into an animal. And it's like, okay, well, yeah. that's not that interesting. And um the end.
0: Yeah, I I just for me, it wasn't that interesting. And it, it didn't explain anything that needed explaining. So it wasn't like the obscurial thing where we're like, ah, oh, that's so cool. That explains this and this and this. It's like, no, it it's irrelevant to the novels, or it makes them weird. And in any case, like, why was it necessary? You know,
2: right? I think probably, probably the purpose was they were looking for the iconography of the villains and saying we've filled in things we're trying to fill in things about the iconography of the heroes you know about about um Dumbledore you know and things like that and now they're taking the things that we know about you know Voldemort and the bad guys and trying to give as many shout outs as they can over there as well and there aren't Mm -hmm. maybe as many things to work with Mm mm-hmm
0: So just before we finish our discussion, I wanted to talk briefly about um, some of the nitpicky problems that I have with the movie and listeners feel free to just disregard these as, you know, things where you should just suspend your disbelief when you're watching a movie. But for me, they were standout things that I couldn't ignore um, just because of who I am. And one of those things was um, Minerva McGonagall's presence in the movie. So in flashback scenes that take place in probably around 1915, we see that Minerva McGonagall is already a Hogwarts professor. And not only is that impossible, it totally breaks lore because we know that she was born in 1935. And she says in 1995 that she's been a Hogwarts professor for 35 years. Um, And that's not to mention the fact that she was the Transfiguration professor. So she only got that job when Dumbledore ascended to the headmaster position sometime in the 60s. And um, like, what was she doing before that? And then some people have said, well, maybe it was someone else in her family. That doesn't make sense because the McGonagall clan was all muggles before her mother married her father, who was a muggle, um, and they were in hiding because it was illegal for them to be married. So um, until Minerva like, went to Hogwarts, there were no McGonagall witches or wizards. So it just breaks lore, and it's a really, it's just weird for me, again, because it's like, why? Why have this person be in the movie? Like, they already referenced McLagan being... At Hogwarts, so it was like a McLagan. We could say, like, it's one of his ancestors, whatever. Why not have someone else, like uh, Longbottom, be a professor, or like a Spinnet, or someone else? Like, you know, have someone else be a professor whose name we recognize, and we're like, oh, cool, I could get a kick out of that. But don't make it Minerva McGonagall, who already has an established backstory and history that doesn't align with this movie at all.
2: Yeah, so that I was a big
0: problem that I had.
2: Yeah, I don't know much about, like, all the lore stuff, but even I was like, McGonagall, how is she alive? Like, how
0: is, this is way too old. (laughs) The problem isn't that it contradicts lore, I think, for me. The problem is that it takes me out of the movie because I'm like, this doesn't make sense. If it takes you out of the movie, I think that's bad.
1: Well, and it feels, it feels (laughs) maybe lazy or just confusing to, because of, because of the lore that, like, J.K. Rowling has written and because she wrote this movie, it's like, okay, so are you, how how and when did you make this decision? Did you just decide, oh, it would be fun to have McGonagall be there? Or like, has she created some explanation for this? So
0: I have a theory, which is that McGonagall is in the movie because someone in the like producer studio was like, it would be fun if. Yeah. And J.K. Rowling is the type of screenwriter, and I think we've seen this in Cursed Child and in these movies as well where she's not going to like stick up for her lore, she doesn't really care about continuity that much. If if her producers say like I want to throw this in the movie, she's like fine. Yeah. Great, do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she probably yeah.
1: writes I mean she has the writing credit, but she probably like writes an outline and is not Yeah. fully.
0: I would almost guarantee that she didn't write most of the dialogue in this movie. She wrote like a whole bunch of scenes and an outline, like you were just saying, and then like had a, a team of writers fill in the blanks for her. And then she just like checked it for like enormous continuity errors, probably. But you know, again, there's other nitpicky things like something that I thought about in the first fantastic Beasts movie. And it continued onto this one is people don't talk when they cast spells except for like newt occasionally does it. But specifically the problem that I have with it is that everything we know about the killing curse is that you have to say the words. But no one says the words in this movie. People just use the Killing Curse willy-nilly without saying anything. And f- there's no like historical reason why you have to say the words. And so it would make sense if you didn't. But I think that that detracts from the oeuvre of the Killing Curse because it's supposed to be so final and the words really lend a sense of finality to it. When you have it without the words, like in the, these movies, it really just feels like someone shooting a gun. Mm-hmm. And that's not, like, magical. That doesn't feel magical to me. Like, when we see the Auror, um use the killing curse on someone, like, reflexively in the movie, it almost feels like he was, like, taken by surprise and then he just immediately murdered somebody. But everything we know about the magic of that spell is, like, you have to really mean it. Like, you have to want them to die. Right. And I agree. And
2: like, I think it's, it's part it's of... It's
0: not the same as, like, shooting someone, you know?
2: I definitely think it's part of the fact that in, in, in the vision of the film, it feels more like a spy movie than a, yeah. than a Harry Potter
0: magic movie. I think you're absolutely you know? right. Yeah. It's very, it's very noir. It's very film noir in that way. Right. Well, and, Pulling out and, a handgun.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they, there's a lot of, I read something beforehand where they were specifically like, we want this to be a noir film. Like,
0: Oh, did you? Who, That's who, cool. Yeah. I like whoever
1: that. was, um, I don't know exactly. I think they were talking about, you know, some of the more design elements of it, but they were just saying like, this is the vision we have. And so they like did well in you know one of the four movies in there of making it in more film but right like we we're saying contradicts all the other movies that they're also trying to have there. Yeah.
2: It's also not really a noir, and that's part of the problem is that they didn't go all in on that. Like it has again some of the iconography of Harry Potter and has some of the iconography of noir, but it's not set up like a noir. It doesn't yeah. have um the lighting or the style really like a noir.
0: Right. Um, it's very it's stylized like a Harry Potter film.
2: Exactly. It's like the Harry the the, the thematic, iconic Harry Potter music comes in, right? And it doesn't fit at all, right? Right. Because that music has this sort of... I actually, like,
0: pointed that out when we were in the theater. I was like, this is Harry Potter's theme (laughs) from the the movies. Like, the, the song is called Harry's Wondrous World. Like, why is that? playing in this movie that doesn't have Harry Potter in it at all right
2: right it's not related to the character and even the feeling that it's supposed to evoke with it's this feeling of like wonder and mystery mm-hmm. right isn't isn't part the movies aren't wondrous like these movies are supposed to be thrilling and right. kind of um seedy you know like there's there's this tension there that that isn't supposed to be, like, it's not related to that theme at all. And so it just feels like they're taking things, they're like, the audience loves this, (laughs) and and throwing them in, and they forget that the audience loved it before, because it was made with purpose.
0: Yeah, it made sense, it was made with purpose.
1: Yeah, they're just throwing, like, the music in, they're like, this is, will make them feel the fantasy, like, just because this is happening, and it's like, you can't put this in the background of a completely different scary scene yeah
0: they're trying to remind you of a good movie
1: right (laughs) yeah exactly
0: exactly i think what we can say maybe um to wrap up our actual discussion before we move on to recommendations is disjointed um confusing couldn't decide on what it wanted to be um ultimately a decent sequel in a longer series but i think to to say that truly we're gonna have to need some context of later films any other thoughts noah
2: yeah i think it's i think it's riding the coattails of harry potter fandom without adding enough to it to make it really worth its value um but that said you know it's still like it's not a terrible time at the movies
1: (laughs) yeah yeah well, um if we want to kind of start about recommendations, um and you know who we would recommend it for. I I think that I would recommend it because um for I'm with some stipulations. So I think if you are if you really liked the first fantastic beast movie, I would caution and say it's nothing like the first one. Um it's because I think the first one had a lot of like humor and fun and actually more of the wonder Um, in in the first movie. Um, but I think that, you know, you could still see it. And then I think like for huge Harry Potter fans, it's like, yes, see it. If you are, if you want to, you know, learn some information, like we said, maybe, and, you know, have that experience, but don't expect, um, don't expect anything, I guess. (laughs) Have low expectations and, and you're going to be confused. Um, but I would recommend it. I don't think it was I don't think it was bad, but I also wouldn't say anyone has to see it.
0: Noah, would you recommend this movie? And if so, to who? I think
2: I would recommend it to people who saw the first film and really enjoyed it. Um I think if you really enjoyed the first film and were like, Yeah, that was cool, that was awesome, then this one I think will provide a lot of the same fun. It you, you get back to the same characters And, you know, gives you some other cool shout outs. Um, But first of all, if you haven't seen the first movie at all, I think that you shouldn't see this one. And um, if you saw the first movie and you were like, I don't know, this doesn't feel like it has the same kind of magic, then you probably won't enjoy this one even as much as the first one.
0: Um, For me, I would not recommend this movie um with a couple of stipulations i would recommend this movie as noah said if you very very much liked the first fantastic beast movie and if you have seen all of the other harry potter films and you really liked them um especially the ones that david yates directed if you've read all of the books um and you're a big harry potter fan and you just want some more harry potter content in your life i think this is mm, reasonably entertaining um, as long as you can ignore the obvious problems that come with it. Um, I wouldn't recommend paying $15 to go see it in the theater. I would recommend watching this when it comes out on Netflix or whatever. At, I in the comfort of your home. Yeah. Um, this isn't worth a movie ticket to me. Uh, but that said, you know, it was mildly entertaining. And I came into it with very low expectations and I wasn't disappointed. Um, I was a little bit impressed with some elements of it. Um, so... With that said, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend it unless you're like a really big Harry Potter fan. You're over the age of 14 or 15 and you've seen all the other films. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Harry Podcast, our special movie review of Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. You can find all of our previous episodes on the theharrypodcast.com and you can also find them on Apple Podcasts. We will continue next time with our discussion of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And um, now we would like to say a very special thank you to Noah.
0: Yeah, thanks Noah so much for being on. Um, Do you want to plug your new show?
2: Sure, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, If you enjoy my voice, you can hear it on an audio drama uh, that we produced recently. It's very short. It's called Time Bombs. It's available pretty much everywhere. Uh, But yeah, this was really fun. Uh, Enjoyed talking about the movie.
0: Do you have a website for that?
2: Yes, so we've got it at... uh, The website is timebombs.show.
1: Well, thanks so much, Noah, again, and we'd love to have you on future episodes, potentially for other movies. Or chapters, if you're interested.
2: Absolutely. Thanks
0: so much. I'm Madeline. And I'm David. And we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.